What is prayer? Stale tradition. Ritual. A good luck charm. Part of some religious checklist. Done to appease a higher being so we can get what we want. Or at least avoid the lightning bolt. Prayer has been redefined and twisted and confused. But at its essence, prayer is simply talking to God. The God who spoke the universe into creation, who gives us life and breath, who holds all things together. This God wants us to talk to him. In the vastness of all that exists, he actually cares about us, personally, individually. How can we not pray to such a loving God? Amen. Let me begin by saying that I am Pastor Chris Johnson, the senior pastor here at the First Baptist Church of San Antonio, and typically uh, I'm across the street in our other service, but every once in a while, Pastor Danny and I switch places, and that's always joyful for us um, to get to do this. So thanks for allowing that, and thanks for being with us in worship in this way. Um, and let's begin our time. I want to point out several things about church life that you need to be aware of um, as we move forward in our life together as church. So one of those is today we have two welcome to the world. We love to celebrate with our families as they bring new perfect life. The first is Gideon Elijah Adams. And we're so thankful for this beautiful new life born on August 3, a perfect gift from God. And then we have one other, Lathan Burnett. Uh, let's see, where is he? There is he, Lathan Colt Burnett, born on August 7th. And we're so grateful for these two boys that were brought into these two families, the Adams and the Burnetts, and we're so grateful that God has given in this way. Now, let's talk about a few other life together moments that we need to know and be a part of together as church. So one of those is, I hope you'll come back tonight. So tonight at 6 p.m. across the street over in the sanctuary, we're gonna have again time for teaching. We haven't done much what we call time for teaching since before the pandemic. Um, that was one of those things that's taken a while to come back, but we are grateful to have that back. And so tonight I will teach, we'll have a little bit of worship at six, and then I'm going to teach on this topic, defining love biblically. And this was done intentionally in this way. This is probably the question I've been asked the most the last couple of years is what does that word mean? How do we use it? How are we supposed to be using it? And why does this world use it so wrongly? And so we're gonna talk about all that. We'll have about 45 minutes this evening talking about that word and how we define that word biblically. And that's gonna be a part one. We'll have some more that are coming later in the fall. So I hope you'll come back tonight at six and work through that with us as well. Now, looking ahead, we also have Heart to Heart coming back um, next slide here. Heart to Heart are recovery and support groups. This is a necessary uh, part of our work together as a church. There, we know as a church family, many of us are going through and have been through very difficult things. 
And one of the roles as a church family is we walk through those things together. And in particular, people that are deeply hurt uh, need to be together and need to be heard and need to be loved in that way. So these are three of our support and recovery groups that we have. Um, now, the bottom one, Men's Freedom Group, that, that's for uh, men that have been uh, addicted to sex or pornography, and that goes all the way through the year. It meets on Tuesday nights uh, every Tuesday night, so that's an ongoing one. Um, the two others at the top will begin August 29th. So those have taken a bit of a break for the summer. So we have a grief share group. Those, that's for somebody that's lost someone. There's been a death in your family and you're, you're having trouble working through that. We have a group for you there. And then divorce care. That un- Unfortunately, when that covenant of marriage is broken, um, it is deeply painful and we need to walk through that together. And so we'll, that divorce care group begins August 29th as well. Um, also, we have a new opportunity for mom. So let's look at MomCom. Um, so this is different and new. We haven't had this before. It's revamping and revitalizing another ministry for moms that we had that we're, we're turning into this. And so it's for moms of infants through third grade kids. And this is how we love and support moms in all of the struggles of being a mom uh, with a young one. And so there'll be two offerings of that, first Thursday in the mornings and then second Wednesdays in the evenings of the month. And so you can come and be a part of that and support it in that. And then one more life together moment here, um, looking ahead to re-engage. Now, Pastor Danny, who's normally in here, leads this with his wife, Anna, for us in our marriage ministry. And we're so grateful for the work that they do strengthening marriages. We think that that is an important work in ministry in the life of this church, and we want to do that well. And Pastor Danny uh, does an amazing job with that. And that's going to be again Wednesday night, uh, September 6th. And let me make a quick plug here on that that we, um, we started back all of our Wednesday night activities last Wednesday. And so this Wednesday, we will have most all of our Wednesday night activities. We have a meal from five to six. And then at six o'clock, we have orchestra practice, children's, youth. Um, and then I teach a class from six to seven. And I want you to hear me on this. So we have a number of Bible studies that are starting in September and if you're going to be a part of those, like Reengage or Christianity Explored or Women's Bible Study, Men's Bible Study, if you're going to be a part of any of those, I want to invite you for the next couple of weeks to come meet with me um, Wednesday night at 6 before those begin, because we're going to talk about how those Bible studies fit into our larger concept of discipleship. So before they begin, the next couple of weeks, we're going to be together and talk about the why and what we're expecting out of those. So if you would... Come meet with me the next couple of weeks, Wednesday nights at 6, and then we'll disperse out to all these other things like re-engrade, Christianity Explored, and and the other Bible studies that we're doing. Right, just kind of lastly for me, a couple other housekeeping matters for today. So one of those is if you're new or a guest to First Baptist, we're grateful that you're here and we want to get to know you. Um, the, the best way to do that, if you'll go on your phone or go online to our website, fbcsa.org, at the top of the page, there's a connect button. If you will connect there and then put your information um, on that, that form, we can get to know you that way and we want to. Um, and in a similar way, you can give online if you'd like to give that way, but also you'll see some places around the room and exiting where you can give um, at the end of the service. 
All right, now let's get to our text for today. So we are going to be in Daniel chapter nine. So reverse for this week has been Daniel nine, one through 23. And we're gonna read together now a portion of that, Daniel nine, nine through 12. So if you would stand with me and I want us to read that aloud together. So Daniel nine, nine. This then is the text for today. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings which he set before us through his servants the prophet. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. Thus he has confirmed his words which he had spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us to bring on us great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done to Jerusalem. May God bless the reading of his word. The sounds of sitting over the congregation. So recently, my wife Amy and I got a new master bath. Now, we did not want a new master bath, but the Lord saw fit to give us a new master bath. What that meant was the shower pan underneath our shower had somehow formed a little separation, one that you couldn't see, but was in the right place where water would begin to seep down through that crack at the top of the shower pan and then spill out all underneath our bathroom. And in fact, one little crack where the shower pan was supposed to be connected meant our entire master bath had to be gutted down to the studs. And with that, Amy and I got a new master bath. It was ridiculous, it was awful, it was painful, it took forever and I would never wanna do it again. One little crack at the top of the shower pan and everything was wiped out. The whole, the whole bathroom because of one little thing. And because of contractors and because of insurance, this one little crack took nine months to fix. Thankfully, just recently, we have been able to enjoy a bright new master bath that neither one of us wanted. But I want us to, to keep that in mind as we work through Daniel 9 today. Because we often think about our lives and we often think about our sin in this way. Just one small thing. One small thing that no one saw. One small thing that seems to be fine. Days go by, months go by, years go by, and it seems fine until all of a sudden it isn't. And the roof of your kitchen is leaking. 
from your master bath above. You know, it's hard as, as we come to these moments in life, whether it is renovation or sin that has begun to deteriorate life itself, it's hard because it's hard to see. And, th and then it's hard because those difficulties are never resolved overnight. They're never resolved as quickly as we want them to be. They're never as resolved as quickly as we think they're going to be. They're never as resolved, or resolved as quickly as we're told they're going to be. It always takes longer, and it's always more significant than we ever imagined. And when you're in the middle of that, it seems like it takes forever. Now, I want us to picture Jerusalem and Israel in this same way. Jerusalem and the nation of Israel at the time of Daniel are in ruins. So at this time, we, we see that the city has been destroyed. There, there, there's just literal rubble. There's smoke rising up from the ruins. It says the, the gates have been charred. There, there's, there's little left to be livable. Jerusalem here and now is a wreck. And, and, and we, we think about this over the, the course of history and, and what Daniel is speaking into, it all begins with this complete destruction of the city and, and people slaughtered. And, and the people there in Israel are slaughtered and, and the temple is, is collapsed in by the captors. Then Daniel and the able-bodied people of Israel are sent off as captives into Babylon. You know, I think sometimes we forget and, and I think sometimes we picture Daniel as this sort of foreign prince. But he wasn't nobility. He, he was a captive caught in the whims of foreign royalty. And you see it all through the book of Daniel with Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius, Cyrus. All of them had raised Daniel up, but they raised Daniel up to keep him under their thumb, right? That he would know that they were his ruler. And so at this time of Daniel, when he's off into captivity, Israel is trapped. Their homes need restoration. Their, their country needs restoration because everything that was is just a memory, that they describe to their grandchildren. And that memory that they're describing to their grandchildren is, is nowhere near what it once was. Because what we know, as Daniel tells us here in Daniel 9, he's been reading Jeremiah. He has been reading the word of the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah, and he hears in Jeremiah, this destruction and this pain will only last 70 years. It's a little bit longer than nine months of renovation, isn't it? But, but he, he hears from Jeremiah, 70 years, and Daniel's looking up to God saying, God, it must be close to 70 years. When are you going to be a restorative God? When will your hand of favor come back onto your children and onto the place where you chose to bring glory unto your name? Is it not 70 years yet? You see, a whole lifetime has passed by and still nothing Nothing but smoke rising from Jerusalem's smoldering ruins. See, Israel is in a bad way, but I want us to be clear on this. Israel is in a bad way because Israel made bad decisions. 
So often in our lives, this is what we like to do. When things are in a bad way, we like to point and we like to blame. Someone else is always at fault when something bad happens to us. That's, that's our natural fleshly response is to blame someone else when destruction and chaos finds its way into our lives. Israel could not blame anybody else. That's what, that's what all of the prophets had been saying. For a couple hundred years at this point, over and over again, Israel, you are to blame. It is your sin that has allowed this destruction to happen among God's people. And don't get me wrong, they tried to blame others, but God would not let them get away with it. You see, they were faced then with the worst situation of their lives. And when they started to peel back the layers of what was wrong. When Daniel started to peel back the layers of what was wrong, he found out whose fault it was. God had already spoken through the prophets and told them as plain as day, it is your own fault. You are to blame. You cannot pin this on anybody else. 2 Kings 24 says Israel was violent. Jeremiah 13 says they were, they were too proud. They're stubborn. They were, they were good for nothing. They refused to listen to God's word. Ezekiel 14 says that Israel will bear the full punishment of God because they refused to follow him. And I, I want you to look at a couple on the screen with me. This is from our text this week, 1 Daniel 5. So Daniel's saying the same thing. As, as Daniel begins to pray, he moves in from this adoration of God so he glorifies God's name and then moving from that adoration of God he begins to confess sin and he moves into this time of repentance and confession and this is one of the ways that he describes their situation and the destruction that that's all around them and the captivity that they're in this is how Daniel describes it we have sinned We have committed iniquity, we have acted wickedly, we have rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and your ordinances. See, do you see what Daniel does in confession? In confession, he's saying, God, we understand this is our fault. We did this to ourselves. It is our own failure that has brought this chaos into our lives. We're not gonna blame anybody else and we're not gonna do what a lot of times we like to do where we look up and blame God for this. Daniel, in his prayer, says, God, I'm not going to blame you. I'm not going to blame Babylon. I'm not going to blame anybody else. This is our fault. This is my fault. Now, look at one more, Daniel 9, 11. So this was also in our reverse this week. It's a part of that same prayer. Indeed, all of us, all Israel, has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. And we keep going. So the curse has been poured out on us along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. And I want you to notice even here with Daniel, he doesn't say the rest of Israel to sin. He, he, he doesn't say um, my cousin's sinned, my father's sinned, my grandfather's sinned. He said we, he t- this is on me, this is on us, this is on us as a people, we have sinned. We are the problem. The chosen people of God are the problem. The, the sin, our own sin, is destroying us from the inside out. It's like when you have a leak at the base of the shower pan that begins to pour out and, and the water just begin, becomes this destructive force. 
so that everything has to be ripped out. He says, in the same way, our sin has destroyed us from the inside out and nobody paid attention. Even when there were signs, even when there were warnings, we ignored the warnings, we ignored the signs, and eventually it all just ruptured into this lifelessness. One sin turned into another sin. Sin multiplied into complete destruction. And I want us to recognize, and that was the problem then, and the problem that was then in Daniel 9 for all of Israel is still the same problem that we face today. That we have not learned our lesson, though though it has been some 3,000 years later, 2,500 years later, we haven't learned a thing. We haven't learned from Israel. We haven't learned from these Old Testament stories that sin itself is heartbreaking to God. And when we choose otherwise, other than God, when, when we choose to go our own way, when we push back against God, when we refuse to do what he calls us to do, this is as destructive as it gets in our life. Sin is devastating. And it's devastating to all of us. You know, sometimes we like to look and we like to point fingers and we act like sin is more destructive for them, whoever they are, that, that we look out and, and we see how sin is destructive in other people's lives and we see how sin is destructive in different groups and in different, different places and things that we see all around us. But there are none of us who are good, no, not one. And as destructive as sin is in their life, whoever they are, so too sin is just as destructive in your life and in your family. We're going to have to stop blaming everybody else for the pain that's in our lives and reconsider the responsibility that we bear. Now, I will say this. We know the story of Job. That occasionally... We are dealt a bad hand in life. But more often than not, our struggles come from within. Our chaos and destruction isn't because of them. It's because of us. So that when we see devastation in our country, or we see destruction in our families, We have to first look inward. We have to deal with the hardness of our own hearts and recognize that our response when we see smoldering ruins is to listen to the prophets. And and I want to say this here clearly. It is of the Spirit of God when your heart starts to break, that when you see destruction and your heart starts to break, you you see the effect of sin and it, it pains you deep in your stomach. That's a good thing. That's the spirit of God at work, revealing God's ways pointing to the answer so that there are some who see the smoldering ruins and could care less. But when you see the smoldering ruins, 
and your heart starts to break. Take it as a prompting of the Spirit and read the prophets. See, what we recognize is there's a deep problem. A deep problem then, it was Daniel's problem. And that deep problem then, that was Daniel's problem, is, is our problem. This lingering and destructive effect of sin in our lives. And, and what we recognize is, this is where it starts to get good. When, when you finally start to realize that there is a problem, and, and you, you, you finally start to realize that, that it's your own sin that's a problem, that's when it starts getting good. That's, that's when the mercy of God meets you. Because we have this compassionate God who is the answer to our problem. You see, this, this is what Daniel prays for. He says, God, we read and we know you are merciful. Let us know that mercy. We are not good, but you are. And he appeals to God's mercy to pour down from heaven upon them. In fact, I want us to look at another scripture together. It's from 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. It's a reminder of the goodness of God. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. That with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. And then we get to verse 9. But, but let me stop here for a second. What you're going to see here is after Jesus Christ was crucified, resurrected, and ascended, there came these murmurs that said, well, Jesus said he was coming back. Why is Jesus not back yet? It's been a week. Why isn't he back yet? It's been a year. Why isn't he back yet? It's been a decade. Why isn't he back yet? This is Peter's answer to that question. Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? And here we are. I mean, Peter's answering decades later. We're, we're answering millennia later. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness. But he's patient with you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. This is the character of our God. And what's beautiful here that we've been saying all week long in Daniel chapter nine, and, and what we hear earlier in Daniel is, Daniel is a prayer. He spent, he spent his life on his knees before God. And in chapter nine, we get this rare glimpse of what Daniel's prayer life looked like and sounded like. And he, he gets on his knees and he spends some 15 verses asking God for forgiveness and God, forgive us. We know we're not worthy. God, forgive us. We know we do not deserve this, but God, come and bring your forgiveness. And in this repentance, I hope we see this, we can't overstate it enough that, that repentance is, is the action on our part, but Jesus Christ has already done the real work on the cross. You see, Jesus is the one that makes all of this work for us. Right? And the, the end uh, of our deal is repentance. That for us to be right with God, we've, we have to admit where we have been wrong in life. And that path of restoration begins as we admit our wrongness. And, and that work is, is finally processed in repentance. 
I want, I want you to listen how Jeremiah describes it in, in Jeremiah 15. Um, earlier, Daniel has mentioned he's been reading Jeremiah and he's listening to, to Jeremiah. And so I want you to see these couple of verses in Jeremiah. This, this is part of what, what Daniel was speaking to and what he was called to. You who have forsaken me, declares the Lord, you who keep going backward, so that's like us, I will stretch out my hand against you and destroy you. I'm tired of relenting. So that's what they've already seen. I will winnow them with the winnowing fork at the gates of the land, which God has already done. I will bereave them of children. I will destroy my people, which he's already done. They did not repent of their ways. And, and as, as Daniel is, is reading this and knows this, he's brought them to know this is not the end of the story. Jeremiah 15 could be the end of the story if, if God's people never came back and never returned. But, but Daniel gets down on his knees and begins to pray, God, forgive us, and the mercy of heaven flowed. And, and what he recognizes in this is God's only going to give you so many chances to repent. You see, we could feel sorry for Israel and the unbearable pain they're enduring. But God gave them a way out. God had given them plenty of warnings and God had given them a way out through the prophets and they refused to listen over and over again. But now in Daniel 9, we found someone who has listened. And by listened, we mean he got on his knees and he asked forgiveness. Father, forgive us for the sins that we have committed and the mercy of heaven began to flow. You know, I want you to think about us and us these days and what this means for God's grace now. One of the places that we see this, and one of the best places for us to consider this out in God's grace in us is in Revelation. In Revelation 2 and 3, in, in, in Revelation, Jesus begins to, to look at, at five of the seven churches. So Revelation 2 and 3, it says it's written to seven churches. And five of the seven churches, he tells them what to do. And he says, this is the key to your future. This is the key for you and restoration. Because the work of the Christ has been done, will you receive the work of the Christ? And, and, and as he points out in Revelation, he says, the, the key to your future is not to better understand what the mark of the beast is. Or the key to your future is not to work out a new timeline. Or the key to your future is not to work out some mystery through the pages of the book of Revelation. We don't get it. We, we, we skip over the good part. We skip past the key. The key is found all through Revelation 2 and 3. And the first time Jesus says it is in Revelation 2.5. Look with me on the screen. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen. He's talking to the church here. He's saying churches, and one church in particular here in Revelation in 2.5, remember where uh, you have fallen from and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Repent. We think back to Daniel and where he was. God had a plan of restoration in place. God had a plan to rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. God was gonna let everybody go home. God was gonna be calling his people home. It's beautiful to read about. We read about this in Ezra and Nehemiah, that God made a way for his children in restoration. 
And, and it took a full restoration project that was seemingly unbelievable. But this is the work of God to restore. And as it was, it was a blessing to have the buildings back. It's a blessing for that restoration. But that was not the issue. And, and that was not their hope. Because all buildings will eventually crumble. One day, our master bath will be destroyed again. Or one day, our master bath will need to be fixed again. The issue isn't the buildings in Jerusalem. The issue was the hearts of the people that filled them, that the heart needed a restoration. The heart needed to be near God and left to our own devices. Our hearts are full of evil intentions, but God has a plan to rebuild your heart through the work of the cross of Jesus Christ. God will shape and fashion you into something holy. The decimated wasteland of your heart will flourish in the work of Jesus. See, what we need to understand this morning is that as Israel comes back and, and, and God pulls them back, it wasn't for a building. It never was for them to rebuild the temple. The, the, the point was to point it all to Jesus and, and the coming of the Christ, the Savior of the world. You see, out of Israel, out of that restoration, the anointed one was born. You see, the law, the promised land, the temple, the restoration, all of it was the ordained work of God to bless the world and to bless you through Jesus Christ. So that the restoration of your heart might be complete. And so this morning, I want us to ask ourselves of the condition of our hearts. What is the condition of your heart this morning? Because there's one thing that we need to recognize is this work of Jesus to restore our heart is primary to who we are. And we know this to be true, that if you haven't met with Christ, if you have not been near him, then your heart is in ruins, a smoldering heap of rubble. Some of us aren't even aware of it yet. But this is what we know. If your heart is a mess, it's because you haven't been near to Jesus, our restorer. Would you repent and see his restoration this morning? Let's pray together. Our Father, we love you. And we pray this morning that your spirit would work in our hearts in a new way. That whatever is there in rubble, in ruins, in some hardened state, Lord, that your spirit would come and break into our hearts and heal them and make them new this morning. And so, Lord, as we come to you now, we pray for complete restoration. Lord, heal our hearts and heal our land.
It's in the name of our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.